I want you to turn in your Bibles to several scriptures tonight. We're going to first of all go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. So I'd like for you to turn there. And I would like for you, if you would, to turn to, we'll probably go to 1 Peter 4. Um, more than likely we'll go there. So if you can turn there as well. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 Peter 4. And this is going to be a good one for you. Esther chapter 10. So giving you that ahead of time. Esther chapter 10. This is after Second Chronicles and so forth. And um, right around Ezra. So I want you to turn to Esther and chapter 10. We're going to possibly get there tonight. And then Romans chapter 12. Where we're going to hopefully conclude in this passage of scripture. So we're going to start in 1 Corinthians 16. And I'm going to just kind of tag on to what we were talking about last Wednesday night. And last Wednesday night we dealt with missions in regards to addicted to ministry, having an addiction to Jesus Christ. And we talked about what an addiction is. And so the reason we use that word, because that is the word that's used in the King James, in regards to this family that was absolutely devoted and committed to serving the saints of God. And I, I don't believe that there is anything a house or a family could do that is more worthwhile than addicting themselves to the service of the saints of God. That, that, that is more profitable than having your children in sports. Not that you don't do that. I don't know how Carla and I did it, but we raised our three children. We were coaches for their basketball teams and their baseball teams, and we traveled all over the state. And, you know, I don't know how we did all that. God made a way for us to do that. Our children got to enjoy that. And so I'm not against that. I'm not against these activities that our children could be in. But I think one of the greatest things that we were able to enjoy was really serving God together and really being able not to just go to church together, but we served God together. We talked about serving God together. I remember some Christmases that we as a family would try to identify a particular family that was in need. And as our family, we would work together, save together, put our money aside, and we would serve that family during Christmas time. And, and look, I am certainly not a perfect parent. And Carla's the most perfect parent I've ever seen. And so I'm thankful for her and her influence on our children. Let's just, I taught, I taught my kids homeschool one day. And I, and I think it was probably 30 minutes into the math lesson. Hayden is bawling. He's, he's about six or seven years old. And I'm like, everybody knows two and two is four. What is wrong with you? I'm going to have to support you the rest of your life. You know, <laughs> he's just crying, you know, and I'm like, I'm done with this. We're going to go play. We're not going to do school anymore. School's overrated anyway. And, um, so this is, so just forgive me on that. Um, Anyway, but, you know, I'm thankful that we as a family serve God together. I'm thankful we do that. I'm thankful that all of these other things we were able to participate in was glorious and wonderful and fun. And we have great memories from it. But we as a family served God together. I would say we were addicted. 
to serve in Jesus. I would say that I could associate myself with that. I can think of other families in here that were addicted to serving Jesus. The Smith family is certainly one of them. You know, Billy and Jane and the way they devoted themselves to serving the church and the Lord, and they still do. And I'm just thinking so many others. I'm not intentionally trying to mention everyone or leave anyone out. But I just wanted to read this to you in 1 Corinthians 16. In verse 15, he says, I beseech you, I I beg you, brothers, you know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia. And they have dedicated themselves to the, or addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. So there's that word, and that's why we use it. They've addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. And you you understand, I'm not going to go back into all of this, but you understand the power of addiction. I mean, when you are under the influence of a foreign substance that you have allowed into your life, you become addicted and you're not worried that gas is $4.25. That is not going to stop you from getting your next high. That is not going to stop you from getting to the crack house. That is not going to stop you from getting your next drink or getting your next um, promiscuous relationship that you might be pursuing because you're addicted. Addicted people do not wake up in the mornings and see, oh, it's raining. I'm not going to do my drugs today. Addicted people do not consider if something is inconvenient for them. Addicted people are addicted, and it doesn't matter what the environment is or what the climate is. They are going to find the answer to their addiction, whatever it takes. Even if they have to die getting there, they're going to do it. And would to God, Paul could say, because obviously he can't. I mean, he's talking to the church at Corinth, and he's not saying all of you are addicted to the ministry of the saints. But this one family was, and they weren't alone. There were other families that did as well. So I just want that to stand out to you for a little bit. They're addicted to the ministry of the saints. And that is important. You know, it doesn't say that they're addicted to Jesus. They're addicted to the body of Christ. That's what they are addicted to. And I just simply want to throw this in there. You can't love the God you haven't seen if you don't love the brothers that you see. So I think it is a direct addiction to Jesus Christ. But this is the way they're able to live it out. By ministering to the saints. And then he says that you submit yourselves to such and to everyone that helps with us and labors. And so there are those that help with us. And so it's not so much that they're helping us. They help with us. For example, Joe loves to go and do outdoor events and he likes to go and knock on doors and, and witness out into the community And there are people that might help him. Good job, Joe. Wonderful. I'm praying for you. And that's helping him. But then you have the Mendes who help with him. They're out there working with him. They're announcing things. They're they're promoting it. They're trying to get others to help with him. And so that's just a beautiful thing. Not everybody does that. But thank God for those that do. And so this is what Paul is talking about, part of that laboring. So they help and they labor, they work. You get dirty. It's not about necessarily fun. It's not about, you know, clean. It's it's just you're going to get work. You're going to sweat. It's going to be a rough day. You might be drop dead exhausted at the end of the day. I didn't, I, I, I was just thinking last night after Keith and Philip went with me to Shedrick's and when I dropped them off and I'm driving home, I'm just thinking, I don't know if I'm going to make it. 
I mean, I was so tired. I just, I didn't know if I was going to make, I was about to pull off the road and just stop for a minute, you know, and I, it just, it doesn't mean that you don't get tired. It doesn't mean that it's always easy and it's not hard, but you're addicted to this. And so you're driven by this, by this foreign substance and our foreign substance is the Holy Spirit. Who's in our life, you know, this, this, this spirit of God has come into us and he's affected us and he's influenced us and he drives us and we've got to have this with him. And then he says this in verse 17, I am glad of the coming of Stephanus and for these other guys, for that which was lacking on your part, they have supplied. You didn't, you didn't or you were not able to do everything, but what you couldn't do, they did. They they went the extra mile and did that, and then they refreshed, which I think is really good, my spirit and yours. They were refreshing. They weren't a drain on us. They weren't saying, hey, we'll be there. You can count on us, and they were 15 minutes late. They refreshed us. You could count on them. They were there. You knew that they were going to do what they were supposed to do. And so it was refreshing and it was good. And and they were able to do their work because Stephanus and these others were doing their work. And so I just want to bring this out to you again about addicting yourselves to the to the serving the saints of God, which is to serve the church, which is to serve Jesus Christ. And I pray with all of my heart that we would seek this addiction. How many of you know this addiction is not automatic? Because if you notice this back in verse 15, how did they become addicted? They did it to themselves. They did it to themselves. It wasn't because they were saved. It wasn't because they were born again. It wasn't even because they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. They did this themselves to themselves. And so that addiction just begins to set into their life. And so I want to talk to you in a few ways right now about how we can have a a healthy mission and a healthy ministry and a healthy outreach in our life as a church. Because I want our church to be, I don't, I don't look for growth for the sake of growth. I want healthy growth. I want us to be strong together. I want us to be able to walk and live in the growth that God wants to give us so that we're not taken back by it, but we're able to advance with it. And maybe as new people even come in, they're able to advance with us. And so it takes our labor to be able to do that. And so the first thing that I just want to say is help the church grow, help it grow. Do you know that the spirit of God and the gifts of God's spirit in your life can become dormant in your life? The the gifts are there, but they're not operating in you. And Paul said to Timothy, you need to stir those gifts up in your life. It is something that Timothy had to take personal responsibility for. There's not enough messages that a preacher could preach to cause you to stir up your gifts. There comes a point in your life, you have to be responsible for it yourself. And so you begin to stir up those gifts in your life. You stir up the Holy Spirit in your life. And you intentionally become active in the Holy Spirit. This is not mystical. It's not some mysterious way. Oh my gosh, how do I walk in the Holy Spirit? How do I become active in the Holy This is not mystical and mysterious and, and some vague thing that these, you know, gurus walk in. 
It is a normal life of Christianity of just doing the natural things that are set before us every day to do. From the worship of God to the ministry of the saints to particular disciplines in the Christian faith. We're trusting the Holy Spirit in every one of these aspects to give us the grace to do it. And the strength and the power to do it. And we exercise ourselves toward that. Just a couple of comments I want to make about this. Our job as a church is to recognize God's spirit and to participate in what he's doing. And so when you come to church, let's just, I don't know, just always look at the gathering. Don't limit it to that. Because you could be at an outreach. You could be at a night of hope with Jeff Lee. And it is your job because you're a Christian and you have a relationship with God. It is your job and your privilege to be able to recognize what is God doing tonight? I want to participate in that. I want to contribute to that. What is, what is God doing Wednesday night at FNT Church on this particular night? I want to participate in that. So, for example, when I mentioned, who needs prayer tonight? Who's had a rough week and just says, I need God's strength and I need him to touch me or to pray for Shannon. And you did it. You did it beautifully. It was wonderful to watch. Because I, I don't know that anybody just sat there or didn't get involved. But you moved from where you were. You went somewhere. And you joined a little prayer group. And you began to pray. That's it. it it's not some mystical thing that you, 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 you ha, you, you're going to miss if you, if you don't have this opened heaven. And this oil begins to come out of your fingers. You know, oh, I know I'm supposed to do something now. But it, it's just like, no, this is what God has set before me to do. And I want to do it. But you have to recognize that. And you have to join him in it. It is not our responsibility to make the move of the spirit. It is our responsibility to recognize his move. And to participate with him in that. To join him in his endeavor. And the task of the church is also to discover and remove anything that is restricting our growth. Anything that is hindering the Holy Spirit from moving, any barrier that is keeping it from its natural and normal growth, we need to understand what those hindrances are, and we need to bind them in the name of Jesus Christ. So not only is there edification through prophecy and prayer, there's also warfare through prophecy and prayer. We, we rebuke the devil. We don't fight one another. We rebuke the devil. And we take authority over him in the name of Jesus Christ. And so I can tell you in a simplistic way, Acts chapter 2 tells us just from the outset what the Holy Spirit's doing with the church. And what the Holy Spirit is doing with the church, according to Acts chapter 2, is he wants there to be fellowship. He wants there to be prayer. He wants there to be the apostles doctrine and he wants there to be the breaking of bread. Now, that's a given. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing. And if that's what the Holy Spirit's doing, I don't have to get caught up in this holy chamber with God after 40 days of fasting where I can come out and say, I know what God wants me to do now. No, God wants me to join in fellowship. God wants me to participate in the apostles' doctrine. God wants me to participate in prayer. God wants me to participate in these things that he has established in his church. And as I begin to practice those things in his light, there is light. And God will begin to show me more things to do. 
how my life can begin to bring him glory. If I don't do those first things, those natural things, how could I ever move on to the other thing? You could be the most gifted. You could be a Lauren Daigle in here. You know, you could be, you could be the next superstar, if you will, in music. And in, in most places or in churches, if you don't do the little bit first, nobody will ever know it. Nobody will ever know it. They're not going to give you a platform in the centriplex because you say you can sing. You've got to do the little things first and expose your gifts to God and to the people of God. And then God begins to open up more and more doors for your life. So we want to help the church grow by acting in our gifts and moving in our gifts. And so I want to do, I do want to look at this in first Peter chapter four. Because he tells us here, and this is about the end of the world, and we've read this for several weeks now. But the end of the world, Peter says, is coming to you. Be sober, watch to prayer. And he says in verse 8, above all things, have fervent love among yourselves, for love will cover a multitude of sins. And we've looked at that a lot, but we're going to look at the rest of it now. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. Now, you have a command right there to be hospitable. You don't have to pray about that. Lord, should I be hospitable to these people? You know that answer. Begin to do it. Begin to do it. You know that one of the greatest secrets of Christianity that Satan is keeping from Christians, that the way out of your dilemma is to help somebody else out of their dilemma? Do you know there's a scripture that's oftentimes quoted. It says, be careful, your sin will find you out. Do you know the context of that? The context of that is, was the two and a half tribes that settled on the wilderness side of the promised land. And the instruction given to them was this. If you don't help your brothers go and claim their promise because they helped you claim your promise, your sin will find you out. You know what that means? It means this. If you're dealing with sin in your life and you want freedom in your life, but you're not helping others to find freedom in their life, your sin will find you out. And, and, and that's the context of that. And so we have to understand it. And so he says, we use this hospitality in verse 10. As every man has received the gift, even so minister the same one to another. Church is not a talent show. We minister through our gifts. We minister by the ability that God gives us. And so as you've received the gift... Listen, minister the same one to another. You have a gift. Every one of us has gifts. I believe there, I believe if we have the Holy Ghost, then he can do any gift he wants to do through our life. I'm not limited to one. But the fact of the matter is you have the Holy Spirit. You have gifts in your life. And the thing is, are you recognizing the gifts coming out of your life to help other people in the body of Christ? You may not always be aware of it. You might not always sense it. But there was one point in Jesus' life where somebody touched him and he said, I felt power go out of me. Have you experienced that in your Christian life where you felt power go out of you because the gift was operating in your life? And so we're supposed to do this. You have a gift. It should be ministered to other people as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Well, God lent you that gift. And if you're not using that gift, what do you think God's going to think about that? I'm trusting you to be a steward with something that I gave you to help my people. And you're not using it. How do you think that makes God feel? 
What do you think he'll do in regards to that? If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God gives. That God in all things might be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I've instructed the church, and I just want to repeat it again tonight, that listen, there's a lot of people in Christianity that end up doing nothing because they're, they're never sure if it's what God wants them to do. And so they're, they're, they're somehow waiting or wanting this type of confirmation for God to give them something, some go ahead and do it. And, and, and a lot of Christians will spend their whole entire Christian life doing hardly anything when they could have done so much. And so I just kind of give these guidelines, particularly from 1 Peter chapter 4, just check the box. And number one, is it biblical? Is, is what I believe God wants me to do a biblical thing? Number two, if I'm doing this, is it requiring faith for me to do it? Is it something that, God, I'm really trusting you to do this through my life? I appreciate Miriam. She comes up Sunday morning and just shared. She did that so beautifully. And I'm sure it wasn't easy for her, but she just knew there was something of God moving in her life. And it helped so many people by what she spoke to the church. And so that it is the gifting of God that I know that God is moving in my life. And then the third thing is this. Is it going to help the church? Is it going to help it? You know, am I going to go and beat the church? Am I going to strike it? Am I going to slap it? Am I going to wound it with what I'm about to do? Then don't do it unless you're absolutely sure. And you would check that out with leadership first. But is it going to benefit the church of Jesus Christ? And is it going to end in the glory of God? And then if those things are in line, go for it. Because you're on biblical ground to be able to pursue those types of things in your life. Help the church grow. Be addicted to one another. And be able to participate in these things. And I want to say this next thing. Help the church grow better. Don't just help it grow, but help it grow better. And one of the things that I just want to stress in this. And I have a couple of scriptures I'm going to show you tonight. Just because there's so many. And for the sake of time of turning to other places. But I wanted you to understand that the kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. There, there is probably no two people in here that would agree on every single thing the Bible says. There are essentials that we must agree on. But there are many things in the Bible that we don't all agree with the same way or have the same particular understanding. There are many ways that we could offend one another. There are many ways that we could hurt one another or even bring jeopardy into our relationships. And if the church is going to grow and be healthy and the gifts of God are going to operate, which will demolish hell, then Satan is going to try to disrupt that. By causing disunity among ourselves, I'm going to cause them to offend you. I'm going to cause you to get overlooked. I'm going to cause you to get bitter. I'm going to make you feel like nobody loves you. And Satan begins to work in all of those things. So the Bible gives us some parameters 
of things that we should never allow to happen. We understand that we should devote ourselves sincerely in love to one another. That should be our, the, the foundation of our devotion is that I love you. First Corinthians 13 says this. You should always put the best construction on what somebody else has done. Put the best construction. The devil doesn't want us to do that. The devil's going to be the first one to you and says, you know, they meant to do that. And the Holy Spirit's going to say, I don't want you to think they meant to do that. I want you to think that's probably a misunderstanding. They probably don't know how they really affected you. And I want that to be healed. And that would be the way the Holy Spirit would want us to pursue in this. And so people who are seen helping one another are actively forgiving each other. They are spurring one another on into the greatness of Jesus Christ. They are inspiring each other's faith. They are speaking words of grace to one another. And, and that's healthy growth in that. But there are things in the scriptures that we're forbidden to do. And I just wanted to put some of these up. First Timothy 5 verses 13 and 19. This is verse 13. I just want you to see it. We're not supposed to be busybodies. We're not supposed to be gossips. We're not supposed to move from house to house and, and tell the dirt and the grime on other people. Verse 19, if you have that, it says that we're not to receive accusations against other people except by two or three witnesses. I mean, we, we should cut gossip off. You know, somebody says, hey, I want to tell you something about Bill Nipper. Wait a minute. First, I need Bill Nipper here. Second of all, I need two or three witnesses that are going to verify what you say. Well, I tell you, you would end 99% of all the gossip that goes on in prayer meetings and churches. You know what I'm saying? And so this is not supposed to be happening. In Titus 3, 8 through 11, he tells us these things that we are to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to be to men. And so that's what we should do. We should affirm. He's affirming this to us. Go to the next verse, if you will. We're to avoid foolish questions, genealogies, contentions, strivings about the law. They are unprofitable and they are vain. Well, that's caused more disunity in the body of Christ than anything. Theological debates have caused so much disharmony in the body of Christ. If it's not going to be profitable and if it's in vain, have nothing to do with it. Excuse yourself from it. You don't need the heartache and the headache of it. The next verse, if you will, it tells us that a man is a heretic after the first and second admonition. Reject him. The next verse talks about it in, in verse 11. He is subverted, he sins, he condemns himself. Listen, I, I, I wanted that scripture there just for you guys to understand you are not the Holy Spirit. There, there are some people you're not going to convince. There are some people you're not going to persuade. And you have talked with somebody and you have tried to work something out with somebody for two or three times and it's still not getting across. Quit fighting Quit fighting. Leave it alone. Trust it to the Holy Spirit to deal with this. And so we have to be careful. We don't want to get into foolish questions that gender strife. And we don't want to be in contentions and strivings about the law. We don't want to move from house to house and, and tattle and, and gossip and murmur. Instead, if you put up 2 Corinthians 13... 11 through 14, listen to what it says. Be perfect, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace. Okay, listen, that's a beautiful scripture. Being perfect is being mature. Be mature. 
Be of good comfort. Have peace in your own heart. Because what does James say? Where do wars and fightings come? They come from you. Because you lust and strive in your heart. So have, have peace in your own heart. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And if we do those things, what is our benefit? The God of love and peace will be with us. Who, did, who is the one person Satan doesn't want to be in our church? God. He doesn't care if all of Baton Rouge comes here if God's not here. So the one person he doesn't want here is God. So what is the devil going to try to do? Keep you immature? Do something, go back to that if you can. Just keeps you immature. Causes you to be of double mindedness. Gives you a lack of peace in your heart and lack of comfort among one another. And God's presence is not there. The next verse, if you will. And it tells us we're to greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, single people just, you know, but it, but it just means be kind and be warm hearted to each other. Now this just church, I think this is a beautiful church and we love each other. We do. We love each other. We love to greet each other and all. I've been in churches where you just walk in and it's like, oh my gosh, am I supposed to be here? You know, but we're supposed to be warm. We're supposed to be friendly. We're supposed to be inviting to people. And then the next verse, if you will, it says we're to salute one another. That's to greet one another. You don't have to go around like that, you know, but you just greet one another and, and you're, you're recognizing that somebody's standing right in front of you. The next verse, if you will, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Isn't that beautiful? Grace, communion, love. These are the characteristics of the church. This is how we grow healthy and grow strong and good as God would want us to do. So we're supposed to live in peace and so forth. Philippians 2, 14 and 15 says, do all things without murmuring and disputing. Verse 15, it says that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. You want to be a light in the world? Do you want to be that? Go back to verse 14. This is how you do it. I mean, it's very simple. Do all things without murmuring and disputing. Why? Because everybody in the world is murmuring and disputing. But when the church does that, we're no different than the world. They don't care what Jesus you're talking about. It just doesn't matter at that point. First Thessalonians 3, 2. It talks about how Timothy is sent. Why was he there? I sent to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. That just simply means this. If I'm addicted to the ministry of the saints, everything I do, I want to establish you and I want to comfort you in your faith. Doesn't mean I agree with you about everything, but it means this, that I want to establish your faith and I want to comfort you and I want to build up your faith in Jesus Christ in that regard. And, and, and if you can, just kind of scroll through 1 Timothy 3. I'm not going to go through all of this, but just, Kim, if you just move to the next one. And just kind of go through this because it talks about the qualifications of a bishop. Go to go, just go down a little bit more. Hospitality's there. You're not a drunk. You're not a striker. You're, all of these things that happen in your life, you you see a demeanor that is kind. You see a demeanor that is sober. You see a demeanor that is hospitable. This is somebody who's going to be a bishop, one of the leaders of the church. And so this is very important. Somebody's, you can't have somebody in the church in leadership that's brawling and fighting and arguing and debating all the time. You know, it's so important that we understand that if we're going to grow and help the church to grow and help it to be strong. 
That this needs to be the demeanor of our life. Now, it's easy to do these things to people that are easy to get along with. But the true test of your spirituality is that you do it with the most difficult people. You do it with the people that are hardest to get along with. You do it with the people that may be the most rebellious to you in your life. And you continue to be patient and kind and use hospitality. And that's why you thank God for those scriptures. It says, listen, after two or three times, just treat them like a heretic. Just don't fool with it anymore. You don't always have to keep going there, right? It doesn't mean you stop loving. It doesn't mean you stop praying. It doesn't mean you stop saluting them. It doesn't mean you stop greeting them. But I don't have to fight with you anymore. I don't have to debate with you. Man, when God taught me that, I was so set free as a pastor. It just totally liberated me. And so I said, I say this, if you want to help the body of Christ grow well, become a spiritual person. That does not mean you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Doesn't even mean you're a spirit filled person because the Corinthians were baptized in the Holy Spirit and they were spirit filled, but they were not spiritual people. And there's a wonderful discussion in Galatians chapter six about what a spiritual person is. A spiritual person is somebody that's governed by the Holy Spirit. And when they see sin and they see faults. Or they see a brother that has fallen. They do not tell other people about it. But they go to them themselves. Understanding that that could be me. And understanding that the moment I involve myself in this. Satan's going to attack me. With something of, of maybe a like manner. And so I want to go and restore my brother. I want to restore my sister. I don't want to expose them. I don't want anybody in the world to know what I know except me. And I want to put it under the blood of Jesus. And I want to get it out of their life. And I want to walk on with God and them and see them restored in joy and happiness. There's enough abuse in Christianity. We don't need to cause more. And so we want to be a spiritual person and we want to be a truly godly person. And the danger of the last day's church is the form of godliness that doesn't have power. Be careful that you're working so hard to look like a godly person that you're not godly at all on the inside. Because godliness on the inside is going to comfort people. It's going to inspire faith. It's going to be patient. It's going to be humble. It's not going to fight. It's not going to argue. It's not going to debate with people. It's not going to abuse people. It's not going to harm people. It's going to lay its life down so that other people can go on with Jesus Christ. And that's a godly life, walking in the power of God's love and walking in all of his provisions. So I just kind of want to bring this to a close by looking at Esther chapter 10. And I hope you found that, but I just wanted to read this to you because I believe if, if, if you will understand Mordecai in the book of Esther, I, I would probably say he was the hero of the book. Um, I, I think I would be in all right purposes in saying that Esther was born beautiful so that she would be positioned and postured in a place in the kingdom that would be able to bring salvation to the Jews. But it was all of Mordecai's workings that really would be the pivot that would see the Jews saved from extermination by the horrible Haman that was leading this country. And I want you to see the overall attitude and demeanor of Mordecai. This is tremendous. It's in chapter 10, verse 3. And it says, Mordecai the Jew was next unto King Ahasuerus, and a great, great among the Jews, and accepted of the multitude of his brothers. 
And this was his life. He was seeking the wealth of his people and speaking peace to all his seed. That was his life. He literally put his life on the line. He also demanded that Esther put her life on the line. They were willing to die for the salvation of the Jewish people. And those two things summarize his life, which I think is a beautiful portrait of the life of Jesus Christ. That I am seeking the wealth of my people and the safety of my people. That's what I'm seeking. And that's what my life is. And I would have to imagine that Stephanus also had that like spirit in him and his household when they addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. And I say this again to you, if you've got, if you're a single person, 1 Corinthians 7 just liberates you to no end, to just be the servant of God. You're in a beautiful position. Don't, don't look down on yourself if, if, if you're single in that. Jesus lived his whole life single. He was the happiest man that ever lived. You know, and, and, and he served God with all of his heart, did everything that God wanted him to do. He, he was, he was happy. He was a joyful man. But I say this, if you're married and, and you have family, the greatest thing that you can do in your family is to lead your family in such a way that your all of your family becomes addicted to serving and ministering to the saints of God. And if that is the case, even when your children are young, that they begin to become addicted to serving the saints of God, as they begin to grow up, that addiction is not going to leave them. It's going to carry them through high school. It's going to carry them into college. It's going to carry them past college. They're not going to be one of those statistics that we all read about when children turn 18 or 21. They've left the family and they've left the church by the droves. But my kids are staying. Why? Because we've addicted ourselves to the ministry of the saints. And I think that's a beautiful thing for you to have as a goal in your life and to have as a purpose in your life. And if you're without children right now, but you're married, that needs to be something that you're committed to because children's going to make it harder to do that. Children are going to give you many excuses as to why you can't do it and why you can't get involved and why you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't go there. Carla and I, when we were blessed with our children, made a decision that they're coming into our life. We're not coming into their life. I don't need a snowflake social, 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 what is it? Whatever. Telling me my kids need to be put in bed at seven. They're going to bed on the pew in their pajamas. They're, They're falling asleep in the presence of God. They're coming into our life. You know, and, and I, I, I think it was a beautiful thing, you know, because I just, I, our children love the Lord. They're, they're, God was there. Even when they went through rough seasons in their life, God was there. And I just ask you this, is this, is this the demeanor of your heart? And I think you should make it your prayer. God, I want to live that I seek the wealth of the church of God. I seek the wealth of the saints and I want to speak peace to the saints. I want to speak peace. You know, the Bible says that if there are people that are contentious, we're about to read this in Romans 12, and you can turn there. There are people that are contentious. Let the Lord deal with that. Let let God's wrath deal with that. He will. You don't have to get bent out of shape by that. You don't have to lose your peace because other people have. You can rest in the Lord. I, I thank God for the rest that he gives us in Jesus Christ. And so I just pray that this will bless you. I want to... um. I just kind of want to close with this in Romans chapter 12. And I'm going to read verses 10 through 21. 
And I'd just like for you to read it first. Because I'm going to read it from a commentary. So you just read verses 10 through 21 first. Tell me when you're finished. Just 10 through 21. Y'all good? Y'all good? I'm going to read it from this commentary. Love each other in a way that makes you feel close, like brothers and sisters. And give each other more honor than you give yourself. Boy, if we would forgive each other the way we forgive ourselves, we wouldn't have a problem with anybody. As you serve the Lord, work hard, don't be lazy. Be excited about serving Him. Be happy because of the hope you have. Be patient when you have troubles. Pray all the time. Share with God's people who need help. Look. Look for people who need help. Welcome them into your homes. Wish only good for those who treat you badly. Ask God to bless them, not curse them. That is a supernatural heart. When others are happy, be happy with them. When others are sad, be sad with them. Live together in peace with each other. Don't be proud, but be willing to be friends with people who are not important to other people. Don't think of yourself as smarter than anyone else. If someone does you wrong, don't pay them back by hurting them. Try to do what everyone thinks is right. Do the best you can to live in peace with everyone. My friends, don't try to punish anyone who does you wrong. Wait for God to punish them with his anger. For it is written, I am the one who punishes. I will pay people back, says the Lord. But you should do this. If you have enemies who are hungry, feed them. If you have enemies who are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will make them feel ashamed. Do not let evil defeat you. But defeat evil by being good. Praise God. Praise God. I want you to stand with me. What I just read to you in Romans chapter 12 are various ministries. There's a prayer meeting. There's a distribution ministry. There's a hospitality ministry. There's a selfless ministry. There's peaceful ministry, feeding ministries. And I just pray that we could allow the influence of the Holy Spirit to come into our hearts and affect our lives. Listen, addict yourself to the serving the saints of God. You, you, you might say, how do I do that? What do I do? I'm a bashful person. I'm shy. You know? So what do I do? What, what, what are your natural inclinations? Because God made you that way. You know? I thank God, you know, Ethan's pointing here. 
He's up here all the time. I, I see other people take breaks. He's up here all the time playing the guitar and singing. He, he, he doesn't fuss about it. He doesn't complain about it. Why? Because he's addicted to serving God and to worship. I know he hates me talking about it. <laughs> Come here, let me fan you. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's just true. Some of you got talent. You got music talent. You, you have abilities to, to do things. But it's not always on a platform. There are gifts and there are abilities and talents that some people will never see. Like Raina, just having a ministry of knitting. You know, not going to be a, maybe a whole lot of people. Probably no men doing that. I don't know. Ethan? <laughs> there you go. Well, I'm going to leave that right now and just say, not everything's up here. All right? But there is something for everyone. And there are some of you, you're sitting on your talents. And there are some of you that are waiting for your gifts. Because a gift is different than a talent. But if you don't use what you've got, why would God give you more? And it's not always in the spotlight. But it is always in His light. So if there's an opportunity for you to do something in the church or with an outreach group or with a mission group or maybe helping set up on Wednesday night fellowships or whatever, just get involved and do something. You have no idea by doing that, which you may not like to do, that you're exposed to a real need in the church. And that's why God put you here. Because now you've seen the need by doing something you really didn't want to do, but it needed to be done and now I see what I need to do. And now it comes naturally. God begins to do it. And you're in a church that would love to help you do that. And it's not going to stand over you when you make a mistake and point it out to everybody. You failed. We're not going to do that because you would be doing that to me every day. So that's not how we are. We want to comfort you and we want to inspire your faith. and We want to help you walk with God. I want you to have a joyful time as you do it. So I'm asking you tonight as we just close, if you would just ask the Holy Spirit to come and just transform your heart. Transform the way you see church, the way you see life. Maybe as a family, you could ask the question, are we addicted to the ministry of the saints? Not if we go to church, but are we serving together? Are we ministering together? As a single person, am I addicted to serving Jesus Christ and His people? God, give me eyes to see if the altars are open. People are moving. You can come. This is a beautiful place to be in the altar. And I'll say this. You might be new here. But the day that we stop coming to the altar is the day we need to lock the church up. Because it's over at that point. There always has to be a response to God. Always. Let's respond to it with our heart. Altar is the place of prayer. It's the place of laying it down. It's the place of sacrifice. It's the place of worship. Where men and women call on God, God answers them.